0: this message was shared from the pulpit at good news baptist church in chesapeake virginia for more information visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org in july of 2020 i ran an experiment here in the pulpit at good news and i shared a sermon then that was rather unorthodox um, but it did not result in my being excommunicated or thrown off the church staff or tarred and feathered, and so I'm going to try it again tonight. (laughs) And I just want to be clear before I begin that uh, some imagination is certainly involved in uh, this tonight, and uh, there's some educated guesses that are going to go on, but I've done my best to make sure that what I share tonight is as true to Scripture as it possibly can be. I am John it's hard to believe it's been 50 years it's been 50 years since it all happened since Jesus died since he returned from the dead since he went back to heaven but those 50 year old memories uh, couldn't be clearer in my mind I can see it all now I remember being there at the cross hardly bring myself to lift my eyes and look at him to see the Jesus who loved me so humbled that dark day made me see sin in a way I'd never seen it before I saw the gross blackness of sin how dirty how crude how disgusting it is I I hated sin that day And I don't mean Judas's sin of betraying his own teacher or Simon's sin of denying him. I don't even mean the sin of the Jewish leaders who sent an innocent man to his death or the sin of the Romans who would kill him in such a grotesquely cruel way. No, it wasn't their sin that struck me as I looked into that bleeding face. It was my sin. I saw the filthiness of my own heart with a clarity I never had before. I, I knew I needed a redeemer, but I never felt that need as deeply as I felt it that day. Looking up at him, barely recognizable as he was, those thoughts flooded my mind and tears blurred my eyes. As his image swam before me, I remember hearing him call out to me. He spoke to his mother and to me and he entrusted me with the care of his mother he trusted me he loved me and he trusted me i sobbed as i willingly accepted his weighty charge i also remember when mary came running she told me and simon that something had happened she was frantic she could hardly get the words out, but we knew something had happened at the tomb, and we ran there as fast as we could. I was the first one there, and I saw the open tomb, and he was gone. My stomach turned over. I stopped at the door, frozen for a moment. Simon ran in, and I followed him, and as I looked at the wrappings lying there unoccupied, I remembered, and I believed. It was It wasn't until later that I saw him, that same sweet Jesus, scarred but whole. And it seemed more well than I had ever seen him before. Those were sweet days that followed as we saw him again and again and everything became so much clearer and so much of what Jesus had taught us finally made sense. I remember that day when Jesus gathered us together for the last time. We still had so many questions. There were still so many things that were not quite clear. But Jesus gently dismissed our questions and gave us a simple order. He told us to go out as witnesses. We had seen, we had heard, we had touched, and he wanted us to tell others about the things we had seen. He wanted the news to reach the furthest reaches of the world. It didn't feel like an impossible task that day. It felt like it would be impossible not to spread the word about Christ to every living soul. Then as he finished his instructions, he just, he rose up from the ground. And and he went up and up and up. And it, it just seemed like his body didn't belong here anymore. I've been thinking about those days a lot lately. It's not because I have a lot of time on my hands. I have plenty to occupy my mind in my hands as I work to shepherd believers here in Ephesus. Perhaps I'm doing all this thinking back because of my age. I suppose that's what old men like me do. We reminisce. But there's more to it than that. It also has to do with this milestone. Fifty years since Jesus' resurrection... 50 years since the baby church took its first breaths. 50 years since we truly knew the, the full control of God's spirit for the first time. And we saw thousands of people flocking to cast in their lot with Jesus. Those were thrilling days. But I've been thinking about all these events and the way that they've changed the world for all time for a different reason. For weeks now, that same spirit of God who came on me and the others with such power 50 years ago and who has been my constant companion all these years, he's been prodding my heart in a very specific way. He wants me to write, to, to write an account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. I questioned the idea at first. After all, John Mark and Levi and Luke have already done a wonderful job of that. But I learned long ago that it's foolish to resist the Spirit, and so I've set my mind and my pen to the task. I don't know what you think it's like to write under the direct guidance of the Spirit of God, but if you think it's easy, (laughs) it's not. In a way, it, it is the easiest thing in the world. I don't need to come up with anything original. I let him do the speaking through me, but it's not like I'm in some kind of a trance and my hand is writing without my consent. No, I have to be walking with him, consciously surrendering to him, meditating on the Jesus Christ that I knew and what I've come to know about who he truly is. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. The very expression of the life of God. How do you explain that? How do you write that down? I haven't finished yet, but I've made a good deal of progress. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all to you. But as I started working on this, my first question was, how would I start? I wrestled with that. See, I could have started with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, like, like Mark did. Or maybe I could have started with the story of his birth, like Luke did. Or I could have given some background by starting with his genealogy, like, like Levi did. None of those were wrong, of course, but I wanted to start with something even more basic. See, over these 50 years, in many ways, our faith has thrived. Being a follower of Jesus has begun to be recognized as something more than just being an eccentric Jew. Being a member of the way, or being a Christian, as some have begun to call us, has become something people are more familiar with they're more willing to consider our message. More and more people have heard of Jesus of Nazareth, and and we can simply share the truth of who he is. But problems have arisen. See, over this time, in just 50 years, I cannot count the number of groups that have popped up claiming to be followers of Jesus, but making it clear by what they teach and affirm that they do not accept what Jesus himself said about who he is. Some deny he is God. Some deny he was born of a virgin. Some deny that he really died. And others deny that he really rose from the dead. You would think that those matters would have been settled. But as the name of Jesus of Nazareth has become more familiar, I'm afraid that many know the name without embracing the reality of who he really is. So that's why, as I write, I want to begin by going back to what is most basic about Jesus, who he truly is. So this is how I'm going to start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let's see. Here's another part I really like He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. What do you think? It's good, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not taking credit for any of this. This is the Spirit's doing. But those truths, it gives me goosebumps. That's Jesus. If you don't get that, that th- this is the truth behind the healings, th- the truth behind the miracles, the truth behind His teachings, and all that He said and did, then You don't understand Jesus. Ultimately, his death and his resurrection make zero sense if you don't get this. Fifty years after it all began, this is what Christians need. And no doubt that's why the Spirit of God has me writing this. It's so easy for us to get caught up in all the things we say we're doing in the name of Jesus that our hearts drift away from him. We can get so twisted up arguing over the lesser things that we forget the one thing that is needful. We can be active and leave behind our love for him. Thinking back over these things and writing down what we did and what we learned, it has helped me. It reminded me of my love for him. And of how amazing it is that he loves me. But that's how I want to begin. Making it crystal clear. I'm not just writing a biography of a good teacher or even of a great prophet. No, Jesus is so much more. He is the word of God. The divine made human. God in flesh. I've got a lot more written as well. Though I'm really struggling with the account of Jesus' final days. They're such awful and yet such precious memories. Those hours we spent together as we shared the Passover before He was betrayed, they were so uniquely special. In that room, and later as we walked, he was so urgent and yet so tender. There was a fire behind his eyes, a passion. He spoke with so much authority and so much love. And to try to tell of his arrest, the mockery of a trial, and his death. What man could ever be equal to such a task? But then the glory and joy of life restored, of my Jesus back from death, the same man and yet so different. I saw a glory in him in those days that was only surpassed by the glory I saw that day when he was transformed on the mountain. There's so much and I'm struggling how to tell it all. But I know how I want the book to end. It might seem like it's natural to end with Jesus ascending into heaven and Jesus spoke powerful words to us just before he rose into the sky, but those are not the words that have been ringing in my mind of late. I keep thinking back to another encounter, to other words he spoke, not long after his resurrection. It happened like this. We'd already seen Jesus twice since his resurrection It was all so wonderful, and we could only begin to explain it, and we had loads of questions about what was coming. It was an exciting time, and it was an overwhelming time. And when you're overwhelmed, it feels good to return to something familiar. So there were seven of us together one day, and we were talking, and Simon said, I go a-fishing. Fishing. That's something that's familiar to us. And the rest of us thought, why not? And so we joined him. And it felt therapeutic, the comforting lap of waves against the side of the boat, the hard work of rowing and guiding the boat, the the muted conversation, the familiar roughness of the boat and of the net against my hands. It was hard work, but it felt good, at least for a while. It was pleasant until it became clear that the hard work was proving fruitless, Again and again, the net went down, and again and again, it came up empty. I want to be clear, we are not novices. My brother James and I, and Simon and his brother, have long been successful fishermen. People used to joke that all we had to do was put our boats in the water and the fish would jump in. Mm -hmm. That's not true, but we are accomplished fishermen, and a night without a single catch, that's more than unusual. I looked over at Simon and my brother James, and I could tell they were thinking about the same thing I was. We were thinking about another day when we had fished together all night and not caught a single fish. I thought back to that day. Back then, we had, had really very little clue of who Jesus truly was. And I remember him telling Simon to go out and cast his net in one more time. And James and I were there on the beach, mending our nets, and we just shook our heads. But I remember James and I rowing our hardest to get out there because Simon and Andrew were struggling to keep their boat afloat under the weight of all the fish. The net broke, both of the boats were full, we barely made it back to shore. That was an exciting day. And the net wasn't the only thing that broke that day. That was the event that made us decide once and for all. We were going to leave it all and follow Jesus. And now as I sat with these men in the darkness, I remembered leaving the boats and the nets and following Jesus, and I wondered if that decision still held. Were we still going to leave it all and follow Jesus? He was alive, back from the dead. But where did that leave us? We had all run when Judas came to betray him. We were excited that Jesus had come back from death. But what now? We were all pretty quiet as we wrapped things up and returned to shore. As we got close, a man called out to us from the beach asking us if we'd caught anything. And I think our appearance made it clear that we'd been out all night, and it was distinctly humiliating to have to answer him, no, not a solitary fish. And then the man called back with an odd command, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. Well, what could it hurt to make one last cast of the net? And, and so we did it, and we began to feel the weight of dozens of fish. The net quickly grew taut, and no matter how hard the seven of us tried, we couldn't pull it in. And then I looked back at the shore, and then I looked over at Simon, and I took him by the arm. Simon, it is the Lord. I could tell he knew I was right. And Simon dove in and he outswam us to the shore. We dragged the net behind us and Simon pulled it up on the beach and we found ourselves wet and bedraggled standing face to face with Jesus. We didn't know what to say, but he bid us come and share the meal he had prepared for us. And as we sat and ate, the conversation was sparse. When we finished we rose together and began to walk back toward the town and as we walked Jesus fell in beside Simon I was just behind them and I could hear every word of their conversation Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me more than these I knew Simon had been struggling the pain was evident on his face every time we talked about Jesus He was all too aware of the bitterness of his denial of Christ. And his voice quivered a little as he answered, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter looked confused, unsure. And then Jesus repeated the question and the exchange sounded almost identical. When Jesus asked Peter a third time if he loved him, he was clearly hurt. Tears stood in his eyes, and his voice broke as he said woefully, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said quietly and tenderly, feed my sheep. It was a hard conversation to watch. It was so intimate. A close moment between Jesus and Simon. Yet I know those words were not just for Simon. Jesus' words were for all of us. On some level, we all felt that we had denied our teacher. And his words served as a gentle rebuke and a loving assurance. And in his questions, there was a clear and compelling command. Love me. Love me more than all this, more than your comfort, more than your income, more than your friends. Love me more. And Simon was right. He does know. He knows how much I love him. I've found it easy over these many years to make others believe I really love him most, but he always knows. He knows if my professions are genuine or if I'm a hypocrite and a fool. I remember thinking that Jesus telling Simon to feed my sheep was an odd thing to say, but I know now why he did. See, Jesus talked so much about how important it was for us to love each other. I understand now that if I were to say, I love God, but then I were to hate Levi or Thomas, or Simon, or any other believer in Jesus, I would be a liar. My love for Jesus shows itself in my care for his children, for my fellow sheep. But Jesus wasn't done talking to Simon. He talked about the fact that when Simon was young, he could wear what he wanted and go where he wanted, but he said to Simon, when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. I didn't know what he meant at the time, though I do now. He was talking about the way that Simon was going to die. Simon was crucified, but he fed the sheep. loved Jesus to the end and he's not the only one my brother James was among the first and it's become common to hear that another family needs our prayer because a parent or a husband or a daughter has been put to death in the name of Jesus love me Jesus said And Simon, for one, took those words to heart. But Jesus had another command. He he said, follow me. Now, it was at this point that Simon seemed to notice that of the seven in the group, Jesus was directing his comments at one. And like I said, it's not that his words weren't also for all of us, but I think Simon felt a bit singled out. And so he looked back and his eyes met mine. He gestured back at me and spoke to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? I was nervous and eager to hear Jesus' answer. What might it be that I could expect in the future? Would Jesus give me a prophecy as well? But Jesus kept his eyes on Simon. He spoke calmly, but a fire burned behind those eyes as he said, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It was indeed a challenge to my own heart. I had questions about the future. I wondered if Simon would stay true or if he would again deny Jesus. I wondered if Thomas's skeptical nature would prove too much of a hurdle for him to stay true to the Lord. I wondered who would become the leader when Jesus wasn't around anymore. I wondered what he might have in store for each one of us and who would have the greatest share of glory. But Jesus' words cut straight to my heart. It wasn't about any of those things. It was simple. Follow me. Not because others are following me or because others are not following me not because you have a good example or you want to be a good example, not because you like it, not because you know what the future holds, not because it's going to be fun or fulfilling or popular or profitable. Just follow me. I know what's going to happen, but you don't need to. Amen. Sure, I've wondered about what Jesus said. I've wondered if I am going to live until he comes back. I've wondered about it. But... Jesus didn't say it was going to happen. He just said it doesn't matter if it does or doesn't. For all I know, I might die like Simon did, surrendering my life because I refuse to do anything but follow Jesus. I don't know. That day on that beach and then walking along that road, I've replayed that scene in my mind over and over and Jesus' words have burned into my heart. Lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep. Follow me. It's all so simple. It's all so simple. But after 50 years, those words still open up my heart and show me what is calloused and what is spiteful, and what is selfish. So I read to you the beginning of the book. And that story I just told you, that's how I want to end the book, with those words that have challenged me so deeply. And then after the story, to wrap it all up, this is what I'm thinking. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things, And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I I feel that. I really do. There's so much that could be said and written. It, It can never all be said. The Spirit is guiding me, and what needs to be said will be said. There are many things that Jesus did that I I will not write about in this book, but I'm writing what I'm writing so you will believe that Jesus is the anointed one of God, the Son of God, and that believing you will have life through his name. That's why I write It's hard to believe it's been 50 years. A lot has changed. But what is most important has remained the same. I suppose more than anything else, I'm hoping my book can convey one message. It's all about Jesus. The arguments I hear change. The challenges I face change. The sins I battle change. But one thing remains constant. If I turn my attention away from Jesus, from the one who loves me, that's when I stop being a good follower. So I hear Luke has written a second book. And he's telling about the early days among the believers after Jesus returned to heaven. He explains how the Spirit of God worked in the church and how the good news of Jesus spread. Maybe people will read them together. My testimony about the wonder of the Son of God and then Luke's testimony about the power of the Spirit of God. How exciting would that be? And who knows? Maybe I'll write some more. If the Spirit leads, of course. And I suppose it had better be soon. I'm getting old, you know. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus tonight? Perhaps you've been struck with a new vision of the death he suffered on your behalf. Perhaps you've been struck with the wonderful glory of his resurrection Perhaps you've been reminded of the simplicity and glory of who Christ really is. The word made flesh. Perhaps your heart has been broken as you've considered those simple yet deeply convicting words of Christ. Lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep and follow me. Do you see Jesus? Are the eyes of your heart too clouded with other, lesser things? Is Jesus Christ less to you than he was to the Apostle John? John saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. He touched Jesus. But Jesus was no more real to John than he ought to be to you and me. And he was no more central to John's life than he ought to be to ours. Love him. Follow him. And stay focused on what is truly essential. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the rich words of the book of John. For this man, who it seems never got over the wonder of the fact that you loved him. That you wanted to use him. It's hard to believe a man, 50 years after that all happened, would still be calling himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Because that was just so incredible and amazing to his heart. Father, I thank you for this story in John 21. Thank you for the challenge that Jesus gave to Peter. The challenge it serves to be to each of our hearts. Father, we get so caught up in so many things that often we neglect the things that are most simple that are most basic and yet are most essential. And Father, there are so many other places that we can get away with ignorance. But Lord, may we look to Christ. May we learn of Christ. May we never lose the wonder that is associated with Christ. May we just keep looking to Jesus. Guide us in that, we pray. Use your word in our hearts tonight. May we surrender what needs to be surrendered. And may we be able to honestly answer you as you ask the question to our hearts. Lovest thou me more than these? Guide us now, we ask. May your spirit lead in this time as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.